0: This is Tiger Hall. What's the best approach for leading and developing mid-level managers? I'm about to speak to Pilar Schenk, COO of Cisco Global Security and Collaboration. And Pilar is passionate about building high-performing teams around a unified vision, I'm going to read you a line from her LinkedIn profile that I just love and I think really illustrates the kind of leader she is. Quote, I strive to be a talent magnet and find, mentor and support strong leaders. I give them a robust scope with a clear definition of what success looks like and let them run. I'm not afraid to hire someone with potential over functional experience. Grit and scrappy are two of my favorite words. End quote. End quote. This line alone makes me want to ask Pilar all of my leadership questions. Here she is. What is the best
1: advice you've ever received about doing this well? I think the best advice I have heard around developing mid-level leaders is helping them set priorities. And I say that because personally, I had someone do that with me. And she was a pretty tough lady. And I'd gone to her and, you know, asked for, hey, I'm thinking about my career and what's next. And she was like, that's great. Tell me what your priorities are and give me your top three and give them to me in order and give them to be sequenced. And she was really serious, by the way, about all three of those things. And I (laughs) rattled off like something off the top of my head that was probably too long and wasn't three and so forth. And she was like, yeah, no. Tell me, honestly, what are your three? And so I went back with homework because I couldn't articulate my three. And at the time, my three were family. So I was a young mom of two little ones. And so I really wanted to make sure that I took roles that aligned with allowing me to spend time with my littles. The second was challenge. So I really wanted something that allowed me to learn and was super challenging. And the third was advancement. So the third was getting the title or getting the next promotion. And she said, okay, great. And got it fantastic. And then the next time I met with her, I don't think I was thinking about a job or whatever. And she said, okay, you said that your top three priorities were this one and this one. And you know, what you just described as the potential job is not, doesn't sound like it's the family. Like it sounds like Mm -hmm. it would take you away from your family. And so she would call me out on it and, you know, it was really good advice. And she was really, really firm but she helped me understand the decision-making process I should be thinking about as I thought about my career. So I think for folks that are kind of in that, you know, mid-level, they're doing great and they're progressing, but they're having to think about what's next. Think about your priorities and prioritize them. What are your one, two, and three, and then stick with them and then evaluate your decisions and what you're doing against them. I know later on, there were times where I was really frustrated because, you know, Pippa was getting promoted. And I was like, well, how about not me? I'm I'm good too. And she would say, well, I thought your priorities were family and challenge first. I was like, oh, gosh, stop it. Um, But it's totally true. I think you just have to pick what's important to you. You have to be thoughtful about it. And then you have to live it and own it. And she first definitely made me do that. And I think it's really good for folks as they think about what's next for them. Is it the next big job? Is it prioritizing family time? Is it being in a job that is super stable, right? For times of instability or, you know, variability, you know, what is it that is important to them? And then how do you sequence those things and what are the decisions and actions you make underneath it? So at, Mid-level in
0: people's careers, especially when professionals they've been leading people a certain way for a few years, they've got a certain style already. How should you, as a leader of a leader, approach leading them?
1: Well, <laughs> that's a mouthful. Tip, yeah, though. it was. Isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, I do think so. There's statistically, if you're a female or you're diverse, bias increases the further you go up in the organization. So early in your career, it is less. And the most amount of bias that you're going to have against you if you're diverse is in your mid-level career. And then like late in career, it goes way down, which I was surprised by. But is, is statistically what I've heard. Mm. And what I like to coach people on when I talk to them is what got you here won't you get you there. Yeah. And I think it's a title of a book, actually, that I have not read. yeah. Marshall Goldsmith's book, yes. Yeah, I think it, it is totally true. And so I'll give you the example. So when I was at Dell, I went to work for a lady who was amazing. And she had just pulled together an organization of 6,000 people. And she had this huge job. And I was her chief of staff. I read strategy, people programs, all this different stuff. And what I saw and that the way she worked, and I was really flabbergasted by this, is that she actually didn't do any work. And so when I tell people about (laughs) what she did and who she was, I say, like, she was amazing. But let me tell you that she did no work. She didn't do any work. And I was really surprised by that. And then I realized that the further up you go, the less work you do. And your job is very, very different. And so your job is, as you go up, is your ability to build great teams And attract great talent, your ability to coach and develop those people and really, really good talent. They have choices where they want they can go. in any times, you know, bad times, good times, they have to choose who they go to work for and what company and so like, they're gonna if they want to choose you, they need to know that they're going to get something out of it, right, whatever it might be, that's important to them. So you have to build great teams. You have to influence, like you have to go and take all those roadblocks out of the way. And a lot of those roadblocks is really easy when it's in your team. It's not so easy when it's like that team over here and that team over there and all the other groups around you. And you have to set direction and strategy. And so the lady that I worked for was so, so great in building teams, influencing all the groups around her and setting direction and strategy. And I realized that everything I had done in my career to that date, Was the opposite. I was really good at what I did. I got stuff done. You know, I was probably leading small teams, but really like I was involved in everything. I did a lot of work. But the things that made her successful at that level were just the opposite. And actually, the skills that I had were not very well tuned to that. Like influencing, I mean, I was starting to build great teams, but it was different. And, you know, delegating and setting those roles, setting strategy like, how do I set strategy? for a large organization and what do they need. And so what I would just encourage as people think about, you know, where they're at in mid-level career and like going to that next step is thinking about the skills you need. And I do feel like in most organizations, they change. And so what made you really, really good and got you all those promotions and all the high fives to get you there are probably not going to be what you need in the future. Thank you for that. That was, that was a great answer.
0: Hey, sorry to so rudely interrupt my own conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that this is a Tiger Hall podcast. Tiger Hall is the world's leading social learning platform, and we have hundreds of interviews just like this with amazing senior business leaders from around the world. These can all be accessed via the Tiger Hall app, which is free to download. You get free content every month and new stuff is uploaded every workday. I hope to see you there. How much should you push people outside of their comfort zone? And how should you do this? Well,
1: I'm a big believer that you should absolutely push people outside their comfort zone. I think you need to understand a little bit of who they are and what they want, right? If you understand their priorities, it really helps. Are they trying to advance? Do they like challenge? Do they like learning? Or are you dealing with someone who really values stability, is not as ambitious, perhaps, And that's okay. But the folks that really want to move, the people who want to learn, I think you have to encourage them to be a little uncomfortable and to take some risks. There are two things that I think are incredibly important. One is a culture. I think some organizations, you know, will say, Hey, we encourage people to take risks. But then when people take risks, the examples of that, the evidence of that is that they get shot. (laughs) <laughs> um, I was at a company where we would set up like transformation teams and people would be pulled out of their jobs And like oh wow Pippa's been pulled out of her job to do this transformation work. awesome yay Pippa <laughs> and then when like the work was done if they didn't find a job and it was like you know a little bit of hunger games if they didn't find a place back in the company they would get laid off mm-hmm. and so like oh, what we were telling people you know, whether we were saying it through our words, we're saying it through our actions is those who raised their hands and took this big risk to go take a transformation, awesome. But if you didn't have a landing path on the other side, sucks to be you. Um, And I don't Mm. think that that was a great message. So I think, you know, finding the way to show in your actions and your words that you encourage risk-taking is really good. I love fail forward, fail fast, fail forward. So like, it's okay to fail as long as we're moving forward. I think is a really great one. And so how do we encourage that? And the second one, there's a show in the U.S. that is incredibly popular called Ted Lasso. And I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's yes, such a great it's show. Popular here too. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's popular there too. Well, look, it's, I think it's popular around the world, but I love the messages it has in it. And obviously, you know, above the locker room as you the exit door, it says believe. And I think people really need to know that you believe in them, you trust them, And that you think that they can do it. And so it's a great show for all the great messages. I do watch it with my kids. But I think for people, you need to help them feel a little uncomfortable. And I think the most important part of that is to let them know that you believe in them. I love it.
0: Okay, so perhaps this is a good time to ask you a question that we had not planned. Excellent. And that is that I was telling my husband about this conversation I was going to be having with you. And he thought it was very interesting. And he had lots of questions. And he wanted me to add a question to my list of questions I was going to ask you. So he said a few years ago, he had this great boss. And the boss had a couple of catchphrases that he says he's always remembered and he loved one of them was that i want you all to be uncomfortably excited coming to work that was the term uncomfortably excited and the other one was i'm not here to teach you how to swim i'm here to teach you how to swim faster he's always remembered these two things so (laughs) the question (laughs) question i was wondering do you have any inspiring catchphrases you can pass on Oh, I love those.
1: Look, I I think there's so much coming at us with data and things we should do and fantastic books and so forth. It's a lot to consume. And so sometimes having something that is really simple that you repeat and is consistent is easier to attach yourself to. Like it's easier to say, like, I get it. And I do have a couple of catchphrases that are important to me that I say a lot with my team that they know a little bit who I am without me having to have a 30-minute conversation of like, this is who I am and here's my PowerPoint slides and so forth and this is who I think you should be. One that I really love and I talk to my team all the time about and I I think in big organizations can be particularly taxing is that we just try to do too much. So there's a fantastic book called Great at Work and the slogan in the book that I have co-opted as one of my own is called Do Less and Obsess. And I think the idea is that we should pick a couple of things that are really important and do them extraordinarily well. But when we try to do, you know, 10 things or 20 things or 30 things, or we add, oh, we're going to go north and then, oh, we're going to go south too and hit east and west. We tend to end up going nowhere. We talked about the great leader, right? You know, the leader I worked for a long time ago, set strategy and set direction. I think everybody needs to know the north. I think we need to pick the couple things that are going to be really, really important. And then I want to do them extraordinarily well. And I think that's a thousand times better than trying to do 10 things or 20 things or 30 things. And so I'm always encouraging, like, what are the three things we're going to do for this half? No, no. Okay, did you just list out 10? Let's try this again. Like, what are the three things that we're going to do extraordinarily well? I'm going to go report back to my husband.
0: Possibly he's down the corridor watching Ted Lasso without me. <laughs> not. He'll, be in, he'll be in trouble if he's watching without me. That's right. <laughs> Okay. How can you help leaders gain new
1: skills? How can I help leaders gain new skills? I think leaders need to constantly be challenging themselves on the skills that they need. And I would say to be curious, right? So think about where you're at today. Think about what your team needs. Think about where you're going tomorrow. And then you know identify the skills that you need. It, it changes. It changes as we've just talked about as you move on in your career, as your teams grow, as you take on new opportunities. And they think we always have to be growing as leaders. We always have to be thinking about the skills that we need at that time. Oh, suddenly we're going into recession. Those skills are different or you know, in troubled times versus some of the other things. And so I just think to be thoughtful around the skills that you need. Ask your teams what they are needing. And then think about okay, well, what behaviors or what things do I need to learn? I've certainly learned a lot. I've made a lot of horrible mistakes as a leader
0: <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. for my
1: early days, and I've learned from them. And I think you just have to constantly be curious. Would you care to share a mistake you made earlier in your career? Oh yes, so so many. Um, I think that there were two things that I thought as a, a, a like new leader early in my career. I think the first one I thought was that people were like me in terms of what they needed. So I need very little from my leader. I need a big goal. I need them to stay out of my way. Don't give me hugs. Don't give me directions. If you tell me what to do, i probably turn into a stubborn donkey. That's what I need. I need all of those things. And what I realized is that I needed to flex my leadership style. So that's cool. That's me. But people need different things. And so it was a aha to me when I got my first like employee survey back and my results were really bad and I was just gutted. Like, oh, my gosh, I got horrible scores. (laughs) Why? And it took some listening and some introspection and my aha, and I guess it's like so obvious, but as we talk about in this podcast, but I was young, I was a first-time leader, I just thought, hey, that's what everybody needs, mm-hmm. is no, actually, people need very different things. And some people need a hug. Some people need the... Hey, Pippa, what's up? I'm going to just give you a ring. Some people want a lot of coaching. They really want to a, di- a lot of dialogue on like, tell me the exact steps you think are the right ones because I want to know, I want to be really, really sure before I start down that path. So I think flexing leadership style was one of those things that I learned the hard way or in my early days. And thank you so much for sharing that.
0: Yeah, so many leadership <laughs> lessons along the way, but that's a really good one. It's a really good one that you figured out and have amended your ways. Okay, can you give listeners some action steps? What would you like them to go away and do or think about after listening to this?
1: Uh, I think well, let's let's end where we started. First, do you know your priorities? Like, do you know your priorities for yourself? And do you know the priorities from every one of your team members? Because that's going to help you have the conversations, set them up for success, and develop them. So I think, you know, start there, know the priorities, and be extraordinarily clear with that. The second is belief. We'll go back to our Ted Lasso. I think, you know, it's really, really important to think about how you show up in believing your team I think it's a fantastic saying that they talk about in a show. And I think, you know, people want to know that you believe in them.
0: What a beautiful place to end. Okay, Pilar, thank you so much for your brilliant advice and excellent stories. You've been listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. Quick favor. If you like this content, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new upload from us. And of course, if you're hungry for more, and why wouldn't you be, don't forget to download the Tiger Hall app for hundreds more just like this.